Hello, and welcome to A View from the Perch, a podcast covering important financial topics from the perspective of a financial advisor and an experienced certified financial planner. Each week, we give a brief market update, discuss current economic events, analyze and debate highlighted stocks, and provide education on a financial subject. Now, here are your hosts, Bill Parrott and Spencer Engelkev. All right, Bill, new week, same question. How are the markets? Down across the board, we have uh, large caps down a percent, small caps down a half a percent. International stocks taking the brunt this week Mm. down 2.4%, and long bonds down 1.25%. So it's the same story. People are concerned about the federal government raising the debt ceiling default, and uh, they just need to get it done. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that the asset class taking the brunt of the hit is international, which why are they being affected by the debt ceiling? Is there a different element going on? Well, they've got their own problems in in Europe. and I'm wondering if it's related to China's announcement uh, of another COVID spike yes. there. Because uh, a lot of international markets sold off on that news. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could be a mix of that plus our, our debt ceiling. But, uh, yeah, because what international year to date is still outperforming US, yeah. our markets. Um, so, who knows uh, from a week to week basis, but uh, if I had to pinpoint it, I'd put on the deficit. I mean, the the debt ceiling here mm-hmm. and uh, the the new spike in, in, in COVID. Yeah, no, that makes sense, and yeah, it's frustrating because it's it's such a outside of the market event when it comes to this government just affecting it so entirely. Like it's not that like we had a couple slip-ups with Home Depot and Lowe's this week, but relatively okay. But because the debt ceiling isn't getting resolved, the markets are suffering. So that, that's a frustration for sure. And everybody knows they're going to raise it. Yeah. And they're holding our markets and economy hostage. Yeah. And I mean, it's been raised over 100 times since 1940, over 40 times by the Democratic Party, over 50 times by the Republican Party. So it's just this idea that Congress is trying to strong arm to get what they want. And it's just neither side is budging right now. I mean, every single article I'm reading is McCarthy and Biden are going to talk again. And then they talk and nothing happens. And they said, okay, we'll talk again. And Janet Yellen saying that by June 1st is really where the accounting maneuvers that they're doing is going to run dry and they're going to quote unquote default, which Sounds bigger than it is. Um, well, it's a big deal. It's a big deal, but if it's they not. default, then our market's going to get crushed, and uh, uh, stock and bond markets are are going to take a pretty good hit. And and uh, uh, our credit rating will probably go down. Uh, we'll lose confidence in the global market, so they need to get it done. Yeah, they they can't default. It's it's just not an option. And um, and and actually, right now. Investors are not buying treasuries. They're buying 
uh, corporate debt of the battleships, Apple, Microsoft, mm-hmm. J&J, because people think they're safer right now than the federal government. So it would be it would be devastating if they defaulted. Absolutely. But not world ending is the point I'm trying to make, which makes sense. But uh, OK, so anything else really dealing with the markets that you want to discuss? Uh, no, you know, it's uh, we're in a wait and see mode. Makes sense. Wait and see. Cool. All right. Let's transition to our empowering education. And we're going to talk about behavioral finance uh, this morning. So, Bill, like what, what how would you define behavioral finance? Well, the the definition is it's the psychological influence that affect market outcomes. So it's the non-financial side. It's uh, emotional, psychological, and that market participants are not rational. Hmm. Uh, but they have not been rational for centuries. I mean, you just go back and look at the tulip bubble, the South Sea bubble, and and on and on and on. So uh, I think behavioral finance is not a new category, Mm -mm. but it has a new wrapper and it's selling like hotcakes. (laughs) Which, Which makes sense, right? It's that idea that logic versus emotion, what are we really like and how and it affects the investors return with the emotions playing into investments. And so really, how do you seen behavioral finance work to the detriment of an investor? And conversely, how does it kind of work to uh, an advantage to the investor? You know, I don't think there is an advantage mm-hmm. because it creates fear and greed. It, it creates the two different emotions that, uh, uh, in the short term, drive the market. So uh, I think there are both disadvantages because on the fear side, people sell and uh, get hurt. On the greed side, they buy, buy, buy and yeah. run it up. And it reminds me of a story I heard, you know, the herd mentality. Mm-hmm. This teacher asked their class, her class, if you start with 100 sheep and 10 leave, how many sheep are left? So this little boy raises his hand and says, none. And the teacher says, no, you don't understand math. <laughs> and the student said, well, you don't understand sheep. <laughs> and so the herd mentality is a big component of behavioral mm-hmm. finance. One jumps, they all jump. And uh, I, I think that's negative on both sides when the market's rising and falling. So equate that to a real life scenario. We have a stock sell off and instead of holding that because you believe in the intrinsic value because everybody else is selling off, you sell off and kind of miss those returns that were to come about in the in six well, years. Well, just go look at a chart at GameStop. Mm. It went vertical uh, during COVID and then it crashed to earth and then it went vertical again and then crashed to earth. If if you want behavioral finance one on one in a nutshell, just bring up a chart of GameStop. Mm. You had the herd mentality rush in, yep. and then you had the herd mentality rush out. And uh, you know we we could have this talk in a hundred years from now, and there's going to be a new GameStop. Oh yeah, and so it it just never goes away. Yeah, it also works not only on a single stock but just on overall. COVID correction, I think, is a great. Example to her mentality, a lot of people sold off in that two months, and then we had the shortest recession 
in the history of our country. And then the boom was exceptional. But if you miss those early days, you really lost a lot of returns. And it was just people following that fear and everybody says getting out. Everybody moved to bonds and then they lost. They lost. And uh, it happened last June when the market was fine. People read the news, listen to the news, podcast, Twitter, whatever. Mm. And they sell because of what everybody else is doing. You know, you're you're mowing your lawn and your neighbor says, hey, did you sell all your stocks? (laughs) And you're like, should I? And they're like, yes. So you rush in and you sell all your stocks. And, uh, you know, that's that herd mentality. And, and, you know, if you look at it, people, you know, if you polled people, would you rather make money um, or avoid a loss? Mm most people would rather avoid a loss than make money. Like, you know, I forget the exact study, but you know, if you gave somebody a sure bet of making a hundred dollars or a 50, 50 chance of making like a thousand, most people take the sure bet because they don't want the 50% chance that they might not get anything. So, um, people are more afraid of the loss calm than they are making money. Yeah. And so that's, we've been kind of, highlighting or or alluding to some of these biases. So let's just kind of get them out and really talk about it. So the first major bias that we see is confirmation bias. And so that's where as an investor, you're looking for news to validate what you already believe. And I think this is already done, done, right? So you're invested in company X and you have two articles, one good company X and one bad company X. You are gravitated to reading that good company X and kind of being like, oh, the bad article was written by some person that just has an underlying belief or, or yeah. a vendetta against the company. And so you become so confirmed to your belief that you maybe invest more or you put yourself in a leveraged situation and just don't allow other information to really guide you. Yeah. Or you start telling everybody and your mother, hey, I bought uh, <laughs> yeah. the stock and I think you need to buy it too. But yeah, you're right. You look for the data that confirms mm-hmm. what you've already done. Yes. And that can be a detriment because if you have blinders on, as anybody see, if you have blinders on, you're only able to see front. And sometimes you need to divert course um, in an action. So, yeah. The next one is kind of this recency bias. And mm-hmm. I think this is when you talked about GameStop, like that's everybody has been reiterating this meme sock is going to happen again. It's going to happen again. So I'm going to yeah. try to get in Bath and Beyond. I'm trying to go AMC. And they're trying to hit these recency biases because it's like, okay, it happened once. Obviously, obviously it's going to happen again, um, especially when it comes to companies. If a company has a great earnings, a great year, they're like, this company's great. It's got to happen again. And that, that's another bias that we see. Yeah. And if you walk up to anybody on the street and say, hey, what happened on May 23rd, 1990? Like, I have no idea. You know, was the market up or down? Uh, I don't know. But <laughs> but since 1990, the market's tripled. Mm. And um, yeah, people just get so hung up on uh, the news of the day that it blinds them to their longer term goals. Absolutely. Uh, the next one we have is what you kind of alluded to, the loss aversion bias. Yeah. And so that's that idea that investors are so focused on not losing money that they actually get a loss in returns, which is really 
I guess <laughs> it's a kind of a mind yeah. juggler because it's like I don't want to lose money, but I'm actually losing money via my returns because they're able to be cut. And when an investor is so focused on not losing, it's difficult to actually win. You you can't play not to lose. Exactly. You know, in sports, like uh, we've seen it over and over again where a team – like a football team does well in the first half and then they just get super conservative in the second half and they lose. And going back to 1926, stocks have generated a a 10% return. Long-term bonds, about a 5% return, 5.2. But today, uh, people would rather have that guaranteed 5% because T-bills are paying 5%. They're like, hey, I want that guaranteed they're giving up a chance to double their money in stocks over time. Now, treasuries, the T-bills are super safe and guaranteed. Stocks are not. And so in the near term, stocks are going to go up and down, be very volatile. But over time, they're going to outperform treasury bills. But people don't care. They see 5%. They know what it is. It's guaranteed. They don't have to worry about anything. So they're giving up future returns. Absolutely. Uh, the next one is the familiarity biased. And so you invest what you're familiar in. And I think there's no better example than what we're seeing this year with international stocks. Mm. A lot of people have been saying international have been deadwood, have been a headwind for the past 10 years, which they have, right? But then... Last 30. Last 30. <laughs> but the trend is reversing. However, the idea is if... If you don't invest internationally, there's a lot of companies that are very successful and that we know of really well that we just don't really want to invest because we're not familiar. It's not the United States of America. You're basically saying, I don't care what the other half of the world is doing. Mm -hmm. I only want U.S. stocks. I can care less what's happening in Europe, Latin America, Asia, because I don't know anything about those companies. And to turn off half the global market does not seem like a wise investment choice to me. Yeah, absolutely. And then also it works when you're, if you're an individual investor wanting to pick stocks, you'll choose what you're using, what you can see all over the signage. What, and then one of the biggest kind of advertising efforts I've seen so far, especially when I'm watching sports games, is crypto and then not putting crypto and this in the same breath. So crypto, pause. All right, let it flash. And then the QQQs is really the two investments that I see the most of on the commercials. And so- And DraftKings. And DraftKings, <laughs> right, and, and betting. So it's that idea that if you're looking um, for familiarity bias, you're like, of course I'll invest in, in DraftKings. Of course I'll invest in crypto. All these celebrities are doing it. Tom Brady was- a huge spokesperson for it. So it's familiar to me. Why yeah. would I not invest in it? Yeah. Go with what you know, which actually worked well for Peter Lynch. That was his True. big mantra. He said, just buy what you use and what you own. And, um, but yeah, if you're familiar with it, you're more likely to invest in it. Yeah. And so it's just, and that's what I think a big point of these biases, they're not inherently bad. They're good to know. And so it's yeah. like, because you want, you want to invest what you know, however, you don't want to leave some returns off the table just because you're not an expert in semiconductors. And so yeah. it's like, I don't know any semiconductor companies, so that's probably NVIDIA, so I'm not going to invest in them, but they've done 
historically well. And especially with the loss aversion, it's good to know your risk score. However, understand your biases, you're able to kind of combat it rather than fall victim to it is really what I would say. Yeah. And one that I like is heuristics, um, which are basically mental shortcuts, rules of thumb, and trying to simplify complex solutions. So Mm. we all do it. We go to Google. We read the first headline. (laughs) Oh, I am now an expert. Uh, And a lot of people do that. Like, well, I I Googled it. And uh, uh, so I want to buy it. Yeah. And what I do. And they just read the headline. And it's like an iceberg. Mm. You know, you see the tip of the iceberg, not what's below the waterline. And so a lot of people do these mental shortcuts to try to justify purchases. And uh, and that typically uh, does not end well. And right now, AI, AI, super complicated. I have no idea how it works, <laughs> but we're simplifying. Yeah. Right. Go to chat GPT. Hey, what's... Uh, the foundation for financial planning. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, good. I'll post it, and then away we go. So it's taking this, you know, complex solutions and simplifying. What's that age-old saying? One of the most dangerous people in America is a college freshman who read his first philosophy book. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's like Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, another one that we deal with a lot is anchoring, mm-hmm. and so. A lot of people see the high watermark in an investment other account, and they think they're entitled to that. So if they buy a stock at ten thousand and it goes to twenty thousand, and then it drops to fifteen thousand, people want that twenty thousand. They yeah. think it's worth twenty thousand. This happens all the time with real estate. Well, my home was worth this, so that's what I'm going to sell it for. It's like, well, the market's moved, and so it when you anchor to something, it's hard to move that anchor. Yeah. Have Very you ever? had an example of somebody that just anchored on a bad investment and just rode it to the bottom. Of course. <laughs> I'm one of them. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, you, you, you've done your analysis, mm-hmm. you've done your research. It doesn't matter. The market's telling you that you're wrong. Yeah. You are right. <laughs> and, and you're going to hold it to the bitter end. Uh, be very stubborn with it. Um, and away you go. Mostly that happens. Uh, I've seen it with the options market because yeah, options evaporate quickly. And if you're wrong on an option trade, you're on the wrong side of it. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose a hundred percent very quickly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you're like, oh, I'll just wait till it recovers or you, you don't cut your losses. So yeah, I've, I've been there. I've seen it. Um, very common. Makes sense. So kind of, I guess the idea that we're talking about right now is like the efficient market hypothesis, right? You're and and a big bias you that we see is a self attrition. This idea that the self is greater than the sum of the means when it comes to the market. So we've seen people be able to pick stocks and have it successfully. We've seen people not being able to pick stocks and have it successfully. So kind of where do you fall on this idea that all information is readily available price into the market there's no really room to get arbitrage past the intrinsic value versus kind of the opposite where there is and then there's opportunity and how do you balance that as an investor oh that's that's a tough question uh because 
people are taking advantage of yeah. anomalies in the market. Uh, that's why Warren Buffett's worth a hundred billion dollars and Peter Lynch was successful. And um, there are a few active managers that say, Hey, you know, we think we're smarter than the market and they are. Mm-hmm. Um, most people aren't Warren Buffett. Uh, most people can't beat the market. So they're better off buying a basket of funds and letting the market just do its thing. Yeah. Um, but me included, there's always that piece that's like, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to outperform the market. I know something that no one else does mm-hmm. and I'm going to take advantage of it. And, um, but on the other hand, when stocks move so much, like when a stock is down 15 or 20% in a day on earnings, was the price really known mm-hmm. or is the price adjusting to the no, the new data that's out? Yeah. So here's the new information. Here's the new price. Mm-hmm. Yesterday was old information and the old price, but does it warrant uh, a 20% drop in the stock? I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But going back to the fear of greed, mm-hmm. uh, people always take a stock down too far and they always run it up too high in the near term. So I think in the near term, you could take advantage of greed and fear. Yeah. But over time, the market's pretty darn efficient. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. Um, well, as we're wrapping up kind of this segment, any other kind of tidbits, things you want to talk about when it comes to behavioral finance? Yeah, a couple things. Um, Daniel Kahneman and, and Amos Tversky, uh, kind of the founding fathers of behavioral finance. And then you can throw in Richard Thaler and Nassim Taleb in there as well. And they've got reams of data mm. on behavioral finance and it's it's awesome and michael lewis wrote a great book called the undoing project about daniel kahneman and uh, amos tversky that it's a recommended uh read i don't think it'll become a movie like uh big short the, the big short or uh moneyball but you never know yeah. uh wouldn't bet against michael lewis for anything <laughs> but uh if you could read any of their books, yeah. uh, you'll get a very good understanding of behavioral finance. And as a pro tip, if you, Spencer, are going to write an investment book, if you quote any of these authors, it's an automatic bestseller. <laughs> I can't tell you how many investment books I've read that have quoted uh, Daniel Kahneman and, and Amos Tversky or Thaler or Tlaib. It seems like every investment book has a chapter dedicated to them. And I think that's the blueprint for publishing success mm-hmm. is yeah. that you hi- you just mention them and uh, your book goes to the top of the chart. So, uh, but these, uh, these individuals, great research uh, and highly recommended. You can Google them and uh, find out what, uh, uh, what you want to do in terms of behavioral finance. So wrapping this up, uh, I think one way to overcome these issues or biases or, um, you know, overconfidence or herd mentality, confirmation bias is really four things. One is create a financial plan. Yeah. That's your roadmap, tells you where you're going, what you're going to do. Invest in models, diversify your assets you know, four, five, six, 10, 12 funds, whatever that number is. Rebalance 
annually and then automate your savings and investing. So if you automate your savings, it goes into a diversified portfolio based on your financial plan. You could ignore behavioral finance. Yes. And just <laughs> let the markets work for you. You don't have to get emotional. Mm-hmm. And if you follow your plan, it, it should work in the end. And it removes a lot of stress. Yes. And I always like to go back to the Fidelity study. That So they did a study from 2003 to 2013. And they said, which investor performed the best? And it was the investors that were either A, deceased, or B, yeah. forgot they had an account. And what I was very perplexed by, but 2003 to 2013 was not a great year for U.S. stocks and the majority of people because if you had a 401k and forgot about and forgot you had an account, Mm -hmm. most of the time you're probably in that total stock market portfolio and they perform better than the second kind of group that was invested in healthcare, energy, and small caps. So it wasn't even an asset allocation thing. It was just simply knowing their bias or not even knowing, just having this idea that it's not there <laughs> and being able to eliminate these, these behavioral um, investing. To so, so you're telling everybody to ignore their investments. <laughs> I would, I would. And that's why we talked about this, right? Because you need to know these biases to yeah. combat them. Cause if you don't know them, that's where you've fall victim to it. So the next time you call us and, and are freaking out, maybe step back and say, what bias am I looking at? And then be able to talk about it because we Absolutely. are emotional creatures. We need yes. to have emotional kind of catharsis. But if we don't know what we're like really nervous about and what bias we're kind of hinging to, then it's hard to cure it or, or correct yeah, it. Yeah, if you have a balanced portfolio of stocks and bonds and you left the planet for 20 years and came back, it'd probably do pretty well. Oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of like planting a tree once you plant it there's not a lot to do you know <laughs> you know water it occasionally yeah. but nature's going to take over that tree's going to grow uh, but if you're in there always meddling with it and mm-hmm. taking it out it's 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 going to eventually die so um dare i say set it and forget it uh to a degree but uh you got to be aware of what you what you're For on sure. too but let the market work for you and uh, don't worry about the day-to-day movements. Yeah. And imagine not only be able to plant one tree, but thousands of trees, because that's the capability we have with investing. Um, yeah. And just letting nature kind of prove it. Look how many forests we have. Look how many salamanders we're protecting in Austin. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thanks for the expertise, Bill. Now we're going to transition over to our intriguing issue. And so kind of what do you have for us today? Well, I'm going to Baylor University, and uh, they're getting two new Bear Cubs, uh, Judge Indy and Judge Bell. And uh, right now, the uh, little cubs are about four months old. They weigh 25 pounds, uh, just cute as can be. And uh, they're going to live on Baylor's campus in their bear habitat, nationally recognized. And I can't imagine just the the uh, excitement that's going to happen when those bears actually show up on campus. Uh, but Judge Indy and Judge Bell uh, are coming to Baylor University as their their most recent mascots. The, the previous bears 
had been there for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it's Judge Joy and Judge Judy. Um, so get a couple new Cubs. Yeah, I would. I hope they do a case study on enrollment statistics before the Cubs versus after the Cubs. Cause can you imagine being a high school senior and doing a tour of Baylor and then seeing two beautiful little cute Cubs? And you're like, of course I want to go here. I hope they do a, uh, a bear cam. I think uh, that would be awesome. That's cool. Well, I wish we would have ended with that one. Cause that one's much happier than mine. My intriguing issue is Disney canceling the new camp, uh, new campus project in Lake Nola, um, in Orlando, Florida, that was projected to be $1.3 billion bring in about 2000 or jobs and then a thousand from South um, Carolina and South uh, California, Southern California, Southern California. Um, really due to the battle with sentence, the governor of Florida in regards to the parents right act, which is just, it's frustrating. Um, when you see a $1.3 billion project get canceled, that's, it's going to bring in a lot of jobs, create a lot of economic growth for the Orlando area. Um, and then it brings on this bigger picture that I think everybody's talking about. Is Disney going to move and transition headquarters? Kramer this morning was like, just go to Mexico. And that was laughing. New Mexico. <laughs> New Mexico. That's right. Yeah. New Mexico. And everybody was laughing at that. But it, it does bring on this this new issue of, is Disney going to move? Because it seems like it's it's moving towards that. Well, Kramer says, you know, and New Mexico has a ton of land. Oh yeah. Uh, but Disney's not going to New Mexico. No. If anything, they'd come to Texas cause we got more land and uh, a better economy. But I would bet that if you pulled the Southern California Disney employees, they're ecstatic That's true. not to go to Orlando. <laughs> um, you know, Disney Imagineering uh, and disclaimer, my in-laws worked for Disney for many moons. Um, and I've seen the imaginary insight. Mm. Uh, those people are happy they're not moving to Florida. And I think Florida is sending up a message right now that they're not pro-business. Yeah, they really are. And that's a, that's a tough road to, to go down. But uh, yeah, I feel bad for Orlando. Uh, it would have been a huge revenue generator for them. Yeah, this battle is getting ugly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, who knows where it's going to end up. Um my guess in a hundred years from now, people remember Disney over anything else that happened there. So, uh, uh, yeah. Do you think they'll, I think they'll move. Yeah. I mean, you keep calling it Disney ranch. I think Disney ranch is coming to Texas. It just, it seemed as if COVID created this ability for a lot of companies to move headquarters and most of them did it pretty seamlessly. But how do you move a theme park? Build a new one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wonder what that would go. Yeah. I guess if Elon Musk could build a Giga Factory in weeks, <laughs> uh, Disney can build a theme park. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I can't imagine the park itself ever closing. That just no. that doesn't make sense to me. But probably being the, the mothership or headship or whatever you're going to call it, um, moving to Texas would make a lot of sense or a different state. But yeah, Disney Ranch. 30 minutes away from here doesn't sound like a bad idea to me. <laughs> you should trademark that. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Bill, what do you want to leave our, our listeners with? Uh, fasten your seatbelts. Uh, over the next week or so, the market could get pretty violent as politicians jockey yeah. for position over the debt ceiling. Uh, hopefully they just get it done and it's a non-event. But uh, if they don't, it, it's going to be a wild ride. Mr. Toad's wild ride. 
Mr. Toes Ryan. Ryan. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to visit our website, parrotwealth.com, where you can learn more about everything we have to offer at Parrot Wealth Management. That's our view from the perch. See y'all next week.